Well, Lance, thank you for that introduction a while ago. He should have clarified when he's talking about us doing camps until we're 80 that he should have clarified separate bunk beds. Um, not, not sharing a bunk bed with him. Never have, never will. Thank you all for the opportunity. Um, this, this passage that Lance gave me to preach four weeks ago, I guess, and I've been sitting with it for four weeks, and it's been terribly convicting. Um, so this may not be good, but it's been real good for me. So um, hopefully, we're going to answer some really hard, look at and ask ourselves some tough questions, because I think that's what Jesus is saying here, is to wake up his disciples who clearly aren't understanding what's going on. And this passage has got some complicated stuff in it. We're repaying deeds. We're repaying people for their deeds. We're, uh, some of these people will still be alive when he comes. What does that mean? Um, you lose everything to gain everything. It, it's a complicated, odd passage. But I don't think it's complicated when you consider the context. Most of your Bibles have a heading, you know, on each section. And that's, that's helpful when we're studying the Bible to kind of let us know what the passage is about. Um, but the original language didn't have headings and titles for each section. And so I think it's good to see this. What Jesus is saying here is in a response to the fact that what Peter did last, we heard him do last week, which when Jesus says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And what is Peter's response? No, I'm not letting that happen. So he's, he's clueless, and he thinks that somehow he's going to play a part in Jesus' ushering in his kingdom on earth, and somehow in the here and now, he'll, he'll, he'll save Jesus, right? So he and the other disciples clearly don't fully understand what Jesus is doing, what mission he's on, and what he's saying has to happen. And so I think he uses this phrase, it's, it's alarming for us, and hopefully it was for them, in response to, wow, these guys still are not understanding what I'm doing and what I'm going to do. And so we have the, this context. And so let's do this. The backdrop for deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and lose everything, the backdrop for that is in verse 27 and 28. So let's look at verse 27, this, this judgment that he's talking about, getting repaid. He's talking about the final judgment, the end of time, when he fulfills his kingdom and creates new heavens, new earth, makes all things new. This is the final judgment that he's speaking about in verse 27. And what he's not saying is, all your good deeds will save you in the end. That's not what he's saying here, because we know the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere, right? The only requirement for salvation on our part is faith. But what he is saying here is, how you live matters. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, Lance preached on Peter's confession. And he said, Peter's confession of you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, is the same thing as really saying, Jesus is Lord. You are Lord. And it's a fundamental confession for us. And what he follows up with this, and when he says in verse 27, you will repay each according to their deeds and what they've done, what Jesus is saying is, your conduct will match that confession. And so if you're going to say, I'm the Messiah, and I'm the one sufficient to save, and I'm, this, this mission is mine, and I'm going to usher in my kingdom, and if you want to be a part of it, and that's how he starts this passage, you say you want to follow me, this is what it'll look like. This will be your conduct. This will mark your lives. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what I say. It sounds pretty simple. And now look at verse 28. 
this coming of the Son of Man. It's an odd statement about not tasting death. And does that mean that somehow they're going to live forever and when he comes back and ends everything? He's actually talking here about the beginning of his kingdom, not the end of his kingdom. And most scholars believe, and it makes perfect sense to me, that what he's speaking of when he says, some of y'all are not going to taste death, some of y'all are going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What he's referring to is, some of you will not taste death because you will see me resurrected. You will see me as I go back to the Father and ascend into heaven. And you're also going to be here when the Spirit shows up. That's what he means. You're going to see the Son of Man beginning and ushering in his kingdom because you're going to see me raised from the dead. You're going to see me go back to the Father. And then I'm going to send the Spirit. And then what happens when the Spirit comes? The church begins. His, his kingdom that he's building is an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men. It's not a kingdom built with a sword and built with stone in the here and now. It is an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men. And that's what he's trying to get them to see, that you're gonna see the Son of Man coming. You're gonna see it begin. You're gonna see me begin to usher in my kingdom, and I will do that through the hearts of men called the church, my people. And that's, that's the plan. I don't need your plan, Peter. And by the way, please don't cut anybody's ear off. And after he's already heard this, he still can't help himself a few chapters later. I mean, these guys are so focused on the here and now, still thinking, Jesus, we're going to build a kingdom together and it's going to happen now. And when they're walking by the temple and they're pointing out how beautiful it is, and just a few chapters later, look at this grandeur of the beautiful temple and wondering how, what their place would be in the temple. And won't it be great when you rule from there, Jesus? And what is his response? I'm going to destroy that temple. There won't be a stone on top of another stone because the kingdom that I'm ushering in is an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men. So stop focusing on the here and now and understand what I'm doing, all right? And so your conduct, our conduct, will match our confession that he is Lord, and it looks like this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Do what he says. So first, deny yourself. What does he mean by deny yourself? Let's look at uh, one thing that I, I think he's at least at the, in a broader spectrum, he is saying to Peter, Peter, you're not sufficient. I don't need you to usher in my kingdom. I'm going to do that. I am the only one sufficient to go to that cross. I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only one that has the authority to do it. I was sent by the Father to go be killed. And you don't have that authority and I don't need you to usher in my kingdom. I'm going to build my kingdom upon you. Do you see that? And so your plans and my plans aren't sufficient. Jesus is going to build his kingdom with or without us. He is sufficient to build and usher in his kingdom. Secondly, this denial is active. This is not, when, when you hear the phrase, um, and when you've said it, we've all heard it, when you're going through a hard time, having money troubles, sickness. Maybe you married a knucklehead and you have a hard marriage, which all of you ladies married a knucklehead in here, so sorry about that. Or you're just having a hard time with a child. Anything, any sort of hard time. What, what's the phrase people have used? Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. And that's not accurate. That doesn't inform this, this passage. That doesn't inform this passage. What Jesus is saying, what, what I just described is passive, 
right? Troubles coming your way, hard times, sickness. That's just what Jesus promised. In John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I have overcome the world, but this world, the here and now, will be filled with tribulation. That's passive. You didn't do anything to ask for it. You didn't do anything to bring it. It's just hard. It's just hard. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, get married, great, not a sin. Stay single, not a sin. But those of you that get married are heaping more worldly trouble on yourself. Great news, right? Just full of the warm fuzzies this morning. That's passive. That trouble comes to us because we live here in a broken world. What Jesus is calling us to in this denial is not a cross to bear just passively. He is is calling us to make a decisive choice to turn from ourselves and our own sufficiency and our own desires and our own preferences and make the decision to take up a cross. And we'll look at what taking up a cross looks like in just a minute. Denying yourself, here's some caution, denying ourselves is not earning us anything because we know the only requirement to salvation for us is faith. So it's not earning us anything. He's not calling us to deny ourselves um, good things, deny yourself pleasure so that you'll be in my good graces. Does that make sense? That's not what he's calling us to. Um, Paul called it in 1 Timothy 4. He, he called some people out that were abstaining from foods and drinks to somehow get in God's good graces So you're supposed to believe in Jesus, but also don't eat this food and don't drink these drinks and you'll please God. And Paul said, no, that abstaining earns you nothing and it's unnecessary. So denying ourselves, if I were to say, hey, I'm gonna deny myself Mexican food for a week, horrible decision, (laughs) dumb. But if I said, I'm gonna do that so that I can gain the benefit of losing some weight, right? That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying just deny yourself some things to get in my good graces or benefit yourself. This is a total not getting your way is a good way of saying it. I'm okay with not getting my way. This is what it looks like at our house. This is a silly illustration. Um, But for some reason, my kids, the most tension-filled argument and tension-filled moment is deciding where to eat. I don't know. Maybe yours is that way. For our kids, it's a big deal. And so when my son says, I'd like to eat here, and I say, okay, we're going to eat there, the girl's, oh, I hate that place. If Ruby were to ask me, can we eat here? And I'm, yeah, we can eat there. Hank's, oh, I hate that place. Doesn't matter what. Here's the illustration. Here's what Jesus is talking about. Here's what this would look like if one of my children would deny themselves. They would say, Ruby, I know you really want to eat there, and it would benefit you and bring you happiness to eat there. And so I'm not going to complain. Let's go do that. I'm I'm setting my choice and my preferences aside, and let's go have a good time at your place. Does that make sense? Silly illustration, but that's the denying, my preference, my choice. If my son were to say, you know what? I want to do what makes my sisters happy. I would pass out, fall down, and then pick me back up, and then, but that's what this looks like this denial, turning from my way, not getting my way, not thinking I'm sufficient to usher in his kingdom, but our denying is an active denial on our part, a sacrifice. I'm giving up 
my preference and my choice so that others will receive a benefit. It's a posture of yielding to others. Maybe even some of my dreams, plans, just yielding to others so that others would benefit. Jesus is taking Peter and these disciples and he is shifting their focus. They've been so focused on what Jesus is saying to them in their little group, they're having a hard time seeing the crowd, having compassion on the crowd or serving anyone else. Their main concern is their place in Jesus' team. Like, what position am I gonna be in here, Jesus? They're focused. And he is slowly beginning to turn them around because, remember, he's building a kingdom called the church and he's gonna call them to lead and serve in it. He's gonna call them to be a part of the church. The advancement of his kingdom, an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men. And so they can't do that if they're only worried about protecting Jesus and their position on the team. And he says, deny yourself. You're not gonna get your way. The rest of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus shift into the meeting the needs of others. You know, he's been talking about, don't be like this person. He's focused on the scribes and Pharisees. Be like this, don't be like this. And all of a sudden he shifts. There's a world out there that's hurting and there's sheep out there that are my sheep. And he shifts the focus for the rest of the book, meeting the needs of others, handling conflict, bring healing to other people, and forgiveness. And so the shift is ministry to what will be his church. And he's, he's changing. So you take this silly illustration about eating and denying myself and my choice over where we go to eat. You can take that and that same denial and you end up with a young couple who says, I'm not gonna live here. We're gonna deny ourselves the opportunity of America. We're not gonna take advantage of the ability to make tons of money here and build a home and have a boat. We're gonna do this. We're gonna give our lives and we're gonna go overseas to plant ourselves with the missionaries from our church. And they would be denying themselves those things for the benefit of the people in that country who don't have a church, don't have the gospel. So you, do you see how this, and everywhere in between, how it can be, I'm gonna yield my decision on where we go to eat, and I'm gonna be a person that yields to the point where when God calls, maybe some of you will be called, ultimately, to go. And everywhere, and that's what happens on the ministry teams here. Every minute, the ministry team that set up this room this morning denied themselves an extra hour of sleep, came up here, Work to get things set up. Why? For the benefit of the church. But are we so hung up on getting our way, building our kingdom, hoarding and keeping what we're working for that we can't deny ourselves anything? Here's a good test. Denying yourself is not getting your way. Think about the last time you didn't get your way. Eric Reed is a pastor in um, Nashville and I've read one of his books and I follow him on social media. This is his quote. Listen to this. In all my years of pastoring, I have learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. Then you see the person. That's so true. I think about the last time you didn't get your way. What was your gut reaction? Is it yielding? Is it, that's not fair? I have a right to fill in the blank? Are we people who are marked by, marked by a denial of ourselves? Denial doesn't mean you torture yourself into being in God's graces. 
Denial is a response by the people of God who are astonished, astonished at what Jesus denied himself and sacrifice he made that benefits now the whole world. Do you see that? He denies himself perfection with the Father in paradise to come here in a broken world to be killed, sacrifice, took up his cross, and who benefits? The world benefits. So why would we not as his followers? You're gonna, follow, you're gonna come after me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do what I say. Second point is take up your cross here. What does that mean? Taking up your cross means laying your life down along with all that is precious in it in order to invest and advance his church. I think, specific, I think this, Jesus is being very practical here and specific with us. That taking up our cross is laying down your life along with all that's precious in it in order to advance his kingdom. Well, what is his kingdom advancing in? The church. Do you see it? That's Jesus' goal. That's his call to us. Deny yourself and take up your cross. What is taking up your cross? Laying down your things that are precious to you in order to advance the church. So what's precious to us? Obviously, our families and loved ones are precious. I didn't put that on the list, but I think our time is really precious to us. I'm just thinking personally about how much my money is precious to me, my possessions, the things that I enjoy, comfort and convenience. Those are top four for me. I think they probably are for most of us. So what are we willing to lay down, sacrifice, in order to invest in and advance the church, his kingdom? The, hardest, the hard part for me is when I read this passage and I hear what Jesus is trying to get these disciples to understand is that I think all of this is really on the chopping block. He may not chop it off. He may not take it. But we have to be a people who say, all that I have is his It's not my time, it's his. It's not my money, it's his. These aren't my possessions. And I've fallen in love with comfort and convenience. And so it's really all on the chopping block for us. It should be. Jesus, what do you need in order to advance your kingdom through your church? And that's the sacrifice we make. I told you this was very convicting. I had a conversation with my son last night. You know, we've been talking, he and I were talking about this. We've been talking a lot about things that we'd like to do, a lot of the things that we'd like to get, a lot of things we'd like to buy, purchase, um, things we'd like to acquire, or some experiences we'd like to have. But here's the conversation that he and I have not been having, and that's where I sort of failed him as a father, is that we don't have conversations about what can we sacrifice and what can we deny ourselves. We don't ever have that conversation. And so we've committed to start having that conversation What can we deny ourselves? What can we sacrifice in order to advance the kingdom and advance the church? Maybe it's just a little more time. Maybe it's some more money. Maybe it's bigger than that. But I want to be a family that begins to ask those kinds of questions. How are we denying ourselves and what are we sacrificing for the gospel? 1 John 3, 16 through 18 really affirms this because it sounds just like what Jesus is saying here. So look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It's there on the screen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for who? The brothers. This sounds like deny yourself, take up your cross, 
and follow me, doesn't it? Lay your life down for who? Brothers, the church. But if anyone has the world's goods, lose your life, save your life, lose your stuff, save your life. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does love abide in him? Remember what Jesus said? You'll be repaid for your deeds. Your conduct will match your confession. Don't just talk about it. Do it. This is your conduct. How, how, if you close your heart to someone in need or you don't see a need and you have the ability to meet it, even if it means a sacrifice on your part, are you really following him? Conduct will match the confession. First John goes on. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't just confess that he's Lord. That will play out, Peter, in you denying yourself, taking up your cross, advancing, making sacrifices, and advancing the church, his kingdom, an invisible kingdom in the hearts of men. Losing is everything. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? There is nothing that you and I can acquire. There's no amount of experiences, things, money, and time that we hoard that has any value in saving us. So why would we only focus on what we can acquire and not be thinking, what can we give up? What can we sacrifice to advance the kingdom? Viewing our life as something to give away and not to clutch. Are we, are we viewing all of our list of things that are precious as something that we can be giving away? Or are we viewing them as something to hang on to Judgment is coming. Those that are truly following him are marked by a denial of themselves. They're big-hearted and open-handed. And what we do with that life has consequences. Man, this is hard because really what, what it brings us to at this point, because you're, you're all so good at this, you're all serving in so many ways, that's great, that's good. But, but what we end up needing to ask ourselves after we read a passage like this is, are we sacrificing enough? And don't hear guilt and shame in that. Don't hear me shaming. I'm just saying, I think that's a good question to ask. Anytime you encounter what Jesus is saying to the guys who didn't understand what he's doing with his kingdom and this recorrection, it's good to ask. Are we denying ourselves and are we sacrificing enough of our time, our money, and our possessions? Here's, here's just three questions that maybe you can help you process that are we sacrificing enough? Are we denying enough? And maybe you can use these in your community group this week. The first question, is following Jesus convenient for you? Or maybe another way to say that, has it become convenient for you? Do you, we conveniently plan out our bite-sized denials to fit our overall desire in life? Are we saying, are you doing, shooting for the minimum here? Well, I've denied myself this, and I'm serving on this team, and that's going to have to be it. Nothing else is on the chopping block for Jesus. That's it. I feel good about it. We're going with this. We never ask the question, 
what else could we sacrifice? We never answer the, ask the question, what else am I not denying myself? Third, does a teaching like this stir up your affection or devotion to Jesus, or does it make you want to withdraw? And I'll have to be honest, when I, I'm studying this, it's, it kind of takes my breath away like, oh, and I have to make that decision. And I have to remember how he moved towards me, how he denied himself, he took up his cross, and has called me to follow him. As you're pondering these questions, let me uh, read John 10. Remember, we started with this being an active decision, an active movement. This is not sitting around taking lumps for Jesus. That's not what he's called you to do. That's just what the world does. This is an active decision on our part, but watch how Jesus talks about him actively, decisively, with authority, denies himself, and takes up his cross. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. The devil didn't sneak up on him. The devil didn't win at the cross. He wasn't reluctantly obeying the father. He made the choice. He was decisive and authoritative and giving up his life. And I love that phrase, no one took it from him. No one took it from him. He had the authority and made the decision to lay his life down for you and me, and I'm so glad that he did. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help us to be people that are characterized by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, advancing your kingdom. Keep us from leaving here today and slipping right back into acquisition mode or seeking pleasure mode, or making more money mode, that we would remember and be thinking and asking the question, where do we need to deny, and where do we need to put our life back on the chopping block to obey you and to advance your kingdom through your church? We pray that you would continue to call up church planners, pastors, elders, deacons, missionaries from this body, who will deny themselves and take up their cross just to advance your kingdom. Thank you for all the ways that we're, the service teams are doing that now here. Such a blessing. I pray that you would push us, push us further to ask those questions, to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.